Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, a real delight to be with you and to share with you this evening. I once heard a theologian uh, known to some of us called Guy Chevreau say that he was not really a fan of the well-used Sunday school image of Jesus with the sort of wispy robe and saccharine smile, carrying lambs and blessing babies, the sort of image that you'd often find put on the wall of Sunday school rooms many years ago. He said that every Christian home uh, and uh, every family bringing up a Christian child ought to put next to the cot a picture of Jesus as a lion. A bit like C.S. Lewis's Aslan, a lion, the Lord with us, one who's not safe, but who is good. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote these words, in the jubescence of the year came Christ the tiger. And this evening I want us to reflect on the thought, what does Jesus look like? How does he appear? How does he appear to you? St. John knew Christ face as intimately as any other disciple. He'd been with him day and night for three years. It's possible that he grew up with him and near him. He was there at the transfiguration. He'd leant on his breast at the Last Supper. He'd stood before the cross at Calvary. He'd been with him after the resurrection, been there at his ascension. He knew Jesus as well as anyone. And yet here on the Isle of Patmos, he has given a vision of Jesus he's never seen, an extraordinary manifestation of the glory of Jesus. Jesus wanted to show more of himself, reveal more of his nature and character and power to his beloved disciple, John. And I believe that this is a new season when the Lord wants to reveal more of himself to us. In a sense, he's always wanting to reveal, to disclose more of himself to us and bring us closer to him. But I think as we start this new term, so to speak, and a, a new season as we come out of lockdown, the Lord is wanting to reveal more of himself to us, more of his nature, more of his character, and draw us more into his presence. Now, John was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. He was working there as a slave in the quartz mines. And the reason he was there was because he refused to comply with Emperor Domitian's commands or demands. This pagan Roman emperor established a cult in which he said that everyone had to swear that he, Domitian, was Lord and God and to offer sacrifices to him. And those who refused, generally the Christians, were either killed or, in the case of John, imprisoned. And here is John on the Isle of Patmos, the equivalent of Alcatraz or Dartmoor of its day, hard labor. And he's an old man. And we read in verse 9, he's there because of his faithfulness to the word and to the testimony and witness to Christ. Here's the thing. Following Jesus doesn't make everything perfect. Often it can land us in a whole lot of trouble. 
And John is on the Isle of Patmos suffering because, precisely because, he has been faithful to the word and the witness of Christ. Some of you may be going through a really tough time at the moment. And you think, has God abandoned me? Is it because I've done something wrong? No, not a bit of it. Maybe it's precisely because you've been faithful in following him that powers and darkness has conspired to bring pressure upon you. And then we read in verse 10 that on the Lord's day, he says, I was in the spirit. I love that. He's in the spirit. It's the Lord's day. He's seeking the Lord and all heaven breaks loose. This week I interviewed Baroness Berridge and uh, it will be uploaded, the video, tomorrow on our St. All Dates YouTube. You might like to watch it. And she is a baroness. She has a seat in the House of Lords, a lifetime peer. But when she was talking about faith and her relationship with God, she called him Sovereign Lord. She got a seat in the House of Lords, but she know who is the Lord of Lords. And in a sense, that's what's going on in this picture. Here is John. He is suffering because he refuses to recognize and honor this man, this idolater as Lord, who wanted to be called Lord. But John knew who was the sovereign Lord. And here on this day, the sovereign Lord comes to meet him says it's the Lord's Day. That refers to Sunday, the first day of the week. From the very beginning, the church worshipped on that day. It was the day of resurrection. And we're told that he's in the spirit. There's a sense there that he set himself apart for the Lord. And the Lord has met with him and drawn near and filled him with his grace. And he's praying in the spirit and he's listening to the spirit. And he's led by the spirit. If you want to have a vision of the Lord, you need to be filled with the spirit. Because it's the spirit that reveals Jesus to us. And then on the Lord's day, in the spirit, in this place of suffering for his faithfulness, we see that he has an epiphany. Jesus reveals himself. This epiphany comes in the context of what Charlie calls the discipline of intimacy. He'd set himself apart. He was seeking after God. He was receiving the spirit. And then the epiphany came. And what was it? What was it that he saw? Well, first of all, he heard. He heard a voice of trumpets. Now in the Bible, the trumpet is a signifier of the revelation of God. Moses heard trumpets on Mount Sinai when God gave the law. And here are trumpets. It may be polemical. You know, when Roman Caesars and emperors entered a city, they had what they called the fanfare for the king. You may have heard that phrase, fanfare for the king. And this was a whole load of large trumpets, tubers, announcing that the king is coming so that the people could brace themselves and welcome the king and worship him. And here is the fanfare for the king of kings. Jesus is revealing himself. He's drawing near. He's breaking through that veil. He's visiting in a particular way, John, to encourage him and to reveal things to him about what's going on and what will go on. Now, Nikki, could you please bring up the painting that I uh, sent a picture of to you earlier, if possible? A friend of mine, Caroline Lennartson, this afternoon sent me this picture. 
and she just sent the picture with the scripture that we had read earlier from Revelation. And she said that this picture painted by someone called Annalise Clark uh, had been given to her this afternoon and she just wanted to share that. She had no idea what I was speaking on. She had no idea I was even speaking, but she felt led to just show me this picture. And uh, she was delighted and so was I in a kind of prophetic serendipity at how God was speaking. This beautiful picture here. And this is, so, this is trying to capture what John saw. What a wonderful picture. We'll come back to it. Thanks, Nikki. I believe that the Lord is saying he wants us to see him. He wants us to look for him. He wants us to be in the spirit. He wants us to be pursuing him. And he wants to give himself to us in epiphany. That happens as we worship him. It happens as we study his word. It happens as we receive more of his spirit. But Jesus wants to make himself known to you and reveal more of himself to you in this season. And I want to say to you this evening, saints, brace yourself. Get ready to see more of him. Well, let me just underline a few things of what uh, John saw of what the Lord Jesus revealed of himself. And the first thing is that John saw this aspect of Jesus's intimacy with us. Verse 13, it says that he saw this being, Jesus, among the lampstands. The word there, among, in Greek, you'll be interested to know, is the word miso, which sounds like something Japanese. But it literally means in the middle of, stuck right in the center. And there, in the center of these lampstands, in the Old Testament, lampstands represented Israel. In the New, they represent the church. There, standing among the lampstands, is the Lord. We read later on that these churches are all over the place, really. Some of them are persecuted or compromised, disobedient, deceived, asleep, lukewarm. Yet the Lord hadn't abandoned them and he hadn't left them. And he's not pie in the sky and he's not twiddling his thumbs on a throne. And he's not indifferent and he's not absent, but he's present by his spirit. He's there with the church right in the middle, not at the side right in the midst, because it's his church that he bought, that he brought to himself, that he loves, and he's the head of it, and he's promised he will never leave it or forsake it. The intimacy stands among the lampstands. That's beautifully depicted in Annalise Clark's painting. The Lord is with you. You might not feel it. John may not have felt it on the Isle of Patmos. There he is on this pagan island, so as it were, under oppression and servitude and slavery, serving a pagan, idolatrous Caesar. But Jesus is with him, and Jesus is king. Intimacy. And the second thing is G G John saw Jesus' humanity. He says, I saw, verse 13, one like a son of man. You'll be familiar with that term, that name. That it's the title that Jesus most frequently used of himself. Others called him rabbi. Some called him Lord. He's described later by John as the Logos uh, in the epistles, the Son of God. He is all those things. But intriguingly, Jesus 
most often talks about himself as the son of man. Why is this? Well, I think it speaks of his incarnation. The word become flesh, the eternal son of God, here with us, taking us to himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, taking upon himself human likeness and flesh, God as man, God with us, God for man, humankind. He didn't observe us from afar. He didn't answer our prayers from afar. He identifies with us and stands shoulder to shoulder with us. He walks in our shoes. Writer to the Hebrews says, tempted in all ways common to man. One like a son of man. Yes, this beautiful, resplendent, glorious, magnificent, exalted, king of all kings, present is the son of man, just like us. He knows of what we are made. He understands our humanity and our frailty, and he cares about it. He cares for us. He's with us. What a beautiful thing. One like a son of man. And the son of God becomes a son of man to redeem the sons of man from sin, death, and hell and make them sons of God. Thirdly, John saw Jesus's ministry dressed in a robe, it says, with a golden sash. This image is one that we find in the Old Testament again. It was the, the clothing, if you like, of the priests and of the kings. The priests and kings. In Hebrew tradition, the high priest wore a golden sash. And here is Jesus. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. He's the one who offers sacrifice. He's the one who carries our sins. He's the one who brings us to the Father. And he's our king. He rules and he reigns over our lives. He's a priest and he's a king robed with a golden sash. That's his ministry. He's the one who is for us. His ministry is for you. And then fourthly, John saw Jesus's purity. Verse 14 says he had a head and a hair like wool, white as snow. This white hair, something may refer to the fact that he's the ancient of days and it's the wisdom of years. I had my hair cut by my wife, Tiffany, this afternoon and because um, it was looking a little bit boofy and uh, there was a lot more white than there was just last time I felt. But I think the image here of Jesus is not the white of age, the white hair of wisdom. I think it's about his holiness, his purity, just blazing. When Peter saw Jesus perform a miracle catching fish, he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus's holiness reveals our sinfulness. He's clothed in white, blazing purity. He's perfect and pure and sinless, crystal clear and crystal clean. And he exposes our sin when we draw near to him so sometimes we draw away and yet he doesn't withdraw when when peter said go away from me lord the lord didn't go away the lord drew nearer and said no i got work for you to do if he wants to draw near to you and it's his beauty it's his purity that cleanses us we were purchased with the blood of jesus the spotless lamb who has a head and hair like wool of a lamb without blemish or defect, purity. And then 
just a couple more things. He, John saw Jesus's sensitivity. He had verse 14 eyes that were like blazing fire. Nothing escapes his gaze. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. God eyes, he can see. To all the seven churches, he says, I know your deeds. I know all about it. I see, he sees everything. Nothing escapes his gaze. To each of us, he says, I see you. And I see your thoughts, and your feelings, your actions. I see your attitudes. I see you when you're in bed. I see you when you get up for work. I see you in the car. I see you on, when you're on your laptop. I see, I see, he sees us. But he looks at us with love. Whatever we're doing, however we are, he looks at us with love. Shakespeare's Romeo declared, quote, here's what love is. Love is a fire burning in your lover's eyes. Love is a fire burning in your lover's eyes. Eyes like blazing fire. The Lord looks at you. He sees everything. He wants to put wrong what is, put right what is wrong. And he wants to come and be tender where we're hurting. But he looks at us with the fire of love. Loves you. And then... Sixthly, his stability. Feet, verse 15, like forged bronze. This is a picture from Daniel where God's uh, appointed one, it says, has, uh, well, that's the son of man. In Daniel, we read about um, the nations having feet of clay. Eventually, the clay crumbles under pressure. But I think that this image is here reflecting on that all these human authorities these caesars these emperors all the kingdoms that rise and fall all these men who set themselves up posturing as something special claiming to be lord and god with us and all no it's only jesus who has feet like forged bronze he is the one who's reliable he is the one who's permanent he is the one who stands stable and solid a dear friend of mine wrote to me this week in pain and he said this every authority figure in my life from my teenage years on has let me down i struggle to think that there's anyone in authority that i can trust and respect and that's true in his experience almost everyone's let him down and i replied to him i hope it wasn't hard but I replied to him and I said, don't be surprised. All people, all humankind have feet of clay and all will let you down except Jesus who has feet like forged bronze. He will never let you down. And then lastly, we see his glory. Verse 16, a face like the brilliance of the sun shining like a localized nuclear explosion this is heaven's champion the dread warrior who's conquered sin death and hell here revealed in glory saul saw something of this on the damascus road he was changed to paul he persecuted the church he became a promoter an apostle of christ thrown from his horse blinded by the light of christ he said who are you lord and the voice said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you persecute. And then he said, 
what shall I do? We need to get sunstroke. S-O-N stroke. We need a blazing vision of Jesus that turns our life around and makes us agents of change. Such a vision of Jesus crushes all attempts of ours to privatize or accommodate or domesticate or have a little pocket-sized Jesus. No, behold your God, a face like the brilliance of the shining sun. And then what happens? Well, a revelation requires a response. We haven't got time to open it all up. Let me just say this. Verse 17, John says, I fell at his feet. You don't stand in awe. You kneel. You fall before the King of Kings, and then he lifts you up. The great 19th century writer and playwright Charles Lamb was with some of his chums in a literary circle and they were talking about people from the past they'd like to have met. One said they'd like to have met Socrates, another that they'd like to have met Chaucer. Someone mentioned Shakespeare, someone threw out Jesus Christ. And there was a pause. And Charles Lamb, who was a dear man, a gentle, meek man, he stammered all his life. He said these words, if Shakespeare were to come into the room, we would all stand up in respect to honor him and greet him. But if Jesus Christ came into the room, we would all kneel in reverence. And I want to say, dear saints, I think this is a season of epiphany that comes from the discipline of intimacy that leads to encounter where we see him and he speaks to us and he puts things in place. He gives us perspective and he gives us a, a ministry and vocation for the next season. Nikki, if you could, I'd like you to put up that painting again. We're gonna have a few moments of silence before Emily uh, picks up from this, but let's just look at this picture. And why don't, as you look at this, ask the Lord, maybe you've never met him and you just turned up here and thinking, what on earth is this? Listen, Jesus brought you here. He wants to meet you, come near to him he's come near to you just say yes to him say you want to know him others of you you've gone with the lord you've walked with him for for decades i was going to say centuries but i meant decades but you're tired you're stale and he's saying in this season you come look to me again look and live some of you are really suffering at the moment you want to know where he is he's with you there in the lampstand.